Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. God is good. If you have your Bibles, open them up with me for a few moments this evening. I want to go to the book of Philippians. I want to go to Philippians chapter 4. I want to go to the book of Philippians chapter 4. I'll begin reading there. Philippians chapter 4 verse 10. Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading at verse 10. I believe I'm going to share something with you today. If you grab a hold of this, I believe that it will bless your life. I know the word will bless your life, period, if you grab it. Oh, also, I want to just say I'm glad my mother-in-law is here today. She's all the way from Georgia, my mother-in-law. She's here visiting with us. It's great to have her here. She's the best. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 10. It says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Because once again, you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need. Paul said, I'm just not encouraging this because I'm trying to coerce you or manipulate you any kind of way. He says, I don't say this out of need. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find Myself, I know how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot in any and all circumstances. I have learned the secret of being content, whether well fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him or through Christ. Who strengthens me? I am able to do all things through him or through Christ who strengthens me. Notice what the Apostle Paul said here. I love this. He said, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I found myself in. I want to talk to you very familiar passages of scripture, but I want to talk to you this evening and teach from this for a few moments. And I pray that you would get something out of it, and I believe that you will. But if you're taking notes or, 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 or uh, writing them down or punching them down, whatever your format of your Bible is, I want to title this, this, this evening, I want to call it Having Contentment Without Resentment. Having Contentment without resentment. I don't know about you, but um, I, I know in this room we probably have a, um, numerous uh, cell phone carriers and different types of uh, smartphones in the room, but I am personally, I've always used an Apple phone or an iPhone, and I know some people are probably Android users, have Android or Samsung or whatever the case may be, but I don't know about you, but maybe it's just me, but 
It seems like ever so often or every year that a new iPhone is released. Um, my phone, for whatever reason, maybe I'm the only one that has this problem, but up until, you know, that phone comes out or I hear even about an announcement of a new one being released, my phone seems to work okay. The battery life is good. The, the cell signal is good. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, I, I can be in a tunnel and I still got full bars. You know, there's no hangups on the screen. There's no delays on the screen. It doesn't just blank out and go dead and, you know, and just, you know, and then decides to come back on when it wants to. I mean, I can make calls and everything is fine and everything is good. But for some reason, maybe it's just me. It seems like the moment our Apple gives a new announcement of a new generation of a phone coming out, it seems like now mine wants to mess up. I believe, I, and if you're an Apple employee, I'm not, I'm sorry. I believe it's some sort of conspiracy. I believe that there's some kind of chip or electronic something that they do that the phone starts being discouraged or something. But it seemed like the moment that announcement comes and they're so showing all the cool features and everything. Now my phone wants to mess up and act up and not do what it's supposed to do. And now a phone that I was once okay with, fine with, content with. Now that a new one comes on the scene, what used to be or what I, where I used to have contentment with a phone in one season now, all of a sudden, it's the worst thing I ever had. But it's weird that I never, I don't always feel that way. And there's times I had a bad phone, but it seems like only when the new one comes on the scene that these things happen. When something new, new opportunity or new style or whatever, or a new generation. Now, what was okay for me and was fine for me and working for me in one season, now that there's something else that has came up, I have become discontented with what I used to have because there's something else has come on the scene that has created an opportunity for comparison. Maybe it's just me, but I know in the room this side, I know that there's others like me, if you would admit. And the point I'm trying to get you to see, it's, it's, it's amazing how easily discontentment can come into our lives. We live in a culture and a society that consumerism is designed to rob us of our contentment. Consumerism convinces us that happiness is based on how much stuff we have. That sells us on the idea that bigger is better, the more the greater, clutters our landscapes with all sorts of advertisement and, and signs and ads trying to say, you need this, you need this, you need this. If you have this, if you have this, you're going to feel better. Things are going to be better. If you had this, life is going to be better. And on and on and on and on. And the target of the consumerism in our culture is constantly trying to pull us and pull us to get more and more, trying to instill in you and I that if you get more, more means I'll be happier. More means I'll have more joy. More means I have more peace but the only problem with that is 
Many will tell you that having more does not always lead to peace. Having the newest thing doesn't always lead to contentment. Matter of fact, if you're not careful, if you allow yourselves to allow discontentment to come into your lives. I put it like this. If, when we allow ourselves to get infected with the di disease of discontentment, you will recognize the symptoms in our life because we'll begin to talk like this. If only. If only. If I only had a better job. If I only had a more understanding boss. If I only had enough money. If I only had a bigger house. If I only had a thinner waist. If I only had a husband, if I only had a different husband, if I only had a lifestyle like, if I only hadn't have dropped out of school, if I only hadn't have been forced to get married, if I only hadn't had an abortion, if I only hadn't started drinking, if I only hadn't been fired, if I had only then been given more play, playing time, an athlete would say, if I only had been given more recognition, if I only been given encouragement, if they only hadn't abandoned me as a baby, if they only hadn't discouraged me, if they only hadn't pushed me to, to hard to achieve so much, if they only hadn't been ashamed of my handicap or my struggle, if only, if only, if only. What you have to understand, that you can live on the crutches of if only all of your life. You could sit back and always make an excuse and say, if only, if only, if only. But the question I have to ask you this morning or this evening, I don't want to go down the line of if only, if only you had. I have a question. What do you have? So many times in life, we focus so much on the things that we don't have and we overlook the things that we do have. Are you hearing me? We, we, we look at, I wish I had that. I wish I had this. I wish I could go there. And you overlook the things that you do have. You overlook the very fact. Can I just go ahead and preach? You may not be where you want to be, but thank God that you're not where you used to be. I want to look at you, some, some of you right now. Come on. What do you have? Because God never asks of you what you don't have. He always asks of you, what do you have? Anytime he began to start to do miraculous works, he never asked for what they didn't have. He said, what do you have? Give me what you got. And when you give me what you got and you put what you got in my hands, I know how to bless it. I know how to break it. I know how to multiply. What do you have? Understand this, blind Bartimaeus, watch this. He didn't have eyes to see, watch it. He, he didn't have eyes to see, but watch this. He had ears to hear, but watch this. Bartimaeus used what he had to get what he needed because the Bible said when he heard that Jesus was in town, when he heard that the healer was walking around, he didn't talk about what he didn't have. He used what he did have. And he, when he used what he did have, he was able to get what he needed. I wonder what God is asking you right now. What do you have? You said to God, I don't have this. I don't have that. Maybe God is saying to you, it's not about what you don't have. I want to use what you do have. God knows how to take what you do have and get what you need in your life if you learn to trust him. <laughs> Dangers of discontentment can lead to covetousness. 
Covetousness comes from a Greek word that means grasping for more. Wanting more at the expense of others or from a motive of envy or jealousy. Covetousness would always lead to, watch this, wanting the wrong things. Wanting the wrong things. I thought about the children of Israel in Psalm 78. The Bible said that they cried out and cried out to God. God had brought them out of the wild, got out of Egypt, leading them through the wilderness. He would feed them, the Bible said, day after day with manna. And the scripture said that they, they got so, watch this, discontented, and they were not content with what God was providing, that the scripture said that they began to desire meat. They wanted meat. We don't like this. We are, what is it anyway? Angel food cake every day, every day, every day. And the Bible said this. They began to murmur. They began to complain because they became discontented with what God had provided. And the scripture said this. God said he gave them over to their desire. And the scripture said that the time that, that, the, that the meat or the bird or the quail or the flesh was in their mouth, God brought leanness to their soul. Judgment came and the Bible said many fell. In other words, they got so discontent with what God had provided. They only wanted what they wanted in life. And, then, and what God will do sometimes is allow you to get what you want and then show you how much you don't want what you got. Because they wanted it so bad. Watch this. Notice they wanted meat. Notice they wanted flesh. Notice they wanted meat and flesh. They, did, they were not content, watch this, with what the Spirit provided. They only wanted what the, profesh, the flesh had to offer. And sometimes if we don't allow ourselves to be filled with contentment and it leads us to discontentment, it leads us down a path of wanting what's wrong. Sometimes discontentment would lead you to a place of not just wanting what's wrong, but it'll lead you to a place of wanting, watch this, the right thing for the wrong reason. Oh, come on. It's a quiet in this Presbyterian church, but it's okay. What do you mean, Javon? Wanting the right thing for the wrong reason. Let me give you a simple term. Some people want positions. It's a right thing, but they want it for a wrong reason. Some people want positions for power. Some people want positions for prestige. Some people want positions to be looked at. But understand, when it comes to the kingdom of God, if God gives you any position, it's not just about you having power and prestige. It's about you being a servant and, come on, and ministering to others. But some only want a position so that it can be seen, so that it can be controlled and manipulative of others. But that's what happens when discontentment comes into your heart and leads us down to a path of covetousness. Covetousness comes in two forms. I'm going somewhere. Stay with me. Don't run out on me now. Jealousy and resentment toward others. Watch this. It will cause you to be resentful and rejected. Listen to what I'm about to say. Of others who have what you want. In other words, wait a minute. You, I don't know if you heard what I said. You resent them. Not has nothing to do with them. But it has to do that they have what you want. So I, don't, I get upset with them. <laughs> and they have nothing to do with it. 
But this is an unhealthy place of discontentment. And God has not created us as his people to operate in that way. That's why I'm teaching you this lesson. And I'm going to show you how to get over it. Because this is what happened. And so we walk around. We, we mad at folk that has done nothing to us. We're upset with people who has done nothing to us. The only thing is they have what you want. Look at her. Somebody probably gave it to her anyway. He think he's something driving up in here with that kind of car. And all the while, you just like that car. You like that car, don't trip. You like that bag, don't trip. If you get down to the root of it, you know what I'm saying? I'm not being ugly. I'm, I'm, t I'm going so we're just laying a little foundation. We're going to build... But I'm trying to get you free. I'm not trying to tickle your fancy. I want, I'm trying to get you whole and healthy in the kingdom of God so you can walk in stuff that God has for you. And you're going to realize in a few moments that you don't got to want what anybody else got because what God has for you is for you and can't nobody take it from you. I don't mean to get ahead of myself, but I need to go ahead and encourage you. I'm going to get there in a minute. And a lot of times the things that we want from others, it looks like we want it. Because to us, it paints a pretty picture. And it may not be what you think it is. It may look good on the surface, but underneath. You don't have to allow discontentment and covetous to become cancerous to your con contentment. Psalms 37, 16 says, A little that a righteous man has is better than the abundance of many wicked people. Proverbs 15, 16 says, A simple life in the fear of God is better than the rich life of a t with a ton of headaches. Listen to this. Better a bread crust shared in love than a slab of prime rib served in hate. Oh, I'm going to read that again. Better a bread crust shared in love than a slab of prime rib served in hate. I'd rather eat toast and jelly and be in love and be in peace than eating filet ming-nong with all type of, come on, come on, issues and problems. Anybody hearing me? Isaiah said, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and you, if you have no money. Everyone that is hungry, come and buy, but you don't have to provide. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? He's saying, understand that there is no materialism or things of this world that will meet the needs of your soul. Uh, he says, you got to understand that in each and every one of us, hear me, Free Chapel, this evening, there's a built-in void. There's a longing that God put on the inside of us that nothing can satisfy it but Him. Why would God, watch this, why would God allow us to feel comfortable and make this place at home when this is not our home I want to tell you this is not our home we will enjoy it the Bible said we're pilgrims and, uh, and sojourners passing through this earth and God says I don't want anything that you get caught up on anything so much in this earth that you begin to think that this is not your home I come to declare this evening that this is not my home I am just passing 
passing through. My home, come on, my home is in heaven. I, my daddy is in heaven. Does anybody still believe in going to heaven? Anybody still believe in the return of Jesus Christ? In our text, you see, we look at the life of the Apostle Paul. Let me back up for a minute. Jesus gives us the remedy for discontentment, anxiety, worry, and how to be content in our soul. Pastor Jake actually said it in offering in Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Now watch what I'm about to tell you. Most of the time when we quote that scripture, we quote it looking at it from a place, watch this, a position rather than priority. When we say seek first, what we think of is first or at the top of the list. In other words, we see, we view it from a, a standpoint of position. Watch this. Well, I put God first today in the, at the first of my day. I prayed this morning. I read this morning. It was the first thing that I did when I got up, and I'm not minimizing that. But guess what? You put him first. But just because you put him first this morning, it doesn't mean he's totally a priority. Because, see, what you can do is put him first in the morning and don't have nothing to do with him for the rest of the day. Because, see, it's not talking about position. It's talking about priority. In other words, everything in my life from morning to nighttime is surrounded by him. Everything that my decisions, my choices, come on, my relationships, my family. I just don't have a quiet time in the morning and leave him in the prayer closet. No, when he's priority, he's the center of my life. He's the center of my decisions and my choices. He goes with me to work. He goes into the boardroom meeting. He goes with me to my school. He goes with me to my college campus. He goes with me when I'm hanging out with my friends. He's with me all the time. It's not about him being in a position of first. It's about him being totally priority in our lives. And he's talking about Matthew 6. How do I be content? How do I not worry about this and worry about that and have anxiety eating me up? He says, make Jesus the priority of your life and he will add these things to you give the Lord a shout of praise real quick and I'm gonna move on in our text we look at the apostle Paul who demonstrates to us key components of having contentment without resentment this letter is written to the church of Philippi in our text thanking them for their generosity also, you would find in the book of Philippians that over 16 to 18 times, Paul referred to the word rejoicing or rejoice. Over and over, penned throughout the text, he's talking about giving gratitude and he's rejoicing in God. Over and over and over. But what you must understand about this particular letter, when Paul wrote this letter, he was not in the best conditions. When Paul wrote this letter, matter of fact, he was in a prison. He was in jail, the scripture teaches us. Now, I don't know about you. When you read through the book of Philippians, the, 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 the context and even the, 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 the feel of the, of the book of Philippians, you would not think that a man is in jail writing such letter. I'm in prison, but I'm writing thank you letters. I'm in prison, but I'm talking about rejoicing all the time. 
This is where this letter was written. In a jail cell, in a prison, which some believe was more like a dungeon that filth and even sewer would pass through where he was. It was in this place where nothing around him was conducive to the promise that God gave him. Here was a man whose journey, watch this, who, 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 whose ultimate decision was to go to Philippi as a preacher and now he's a prisoner. And not only that, let me just describe to you what's going on. In this, in this type of prison, a soldier was actually chained to the Apostle Paul. A soldier, not just one, but watch this. Every six hours throughout the day, 24 hours, a new soldier was chained to Paul. So every six hours, he had a new buddy. 24-7. Imagine what that was like. Every time you move, that chain reminds you of the prison that you were in. Every time you took a nap, every time you went to the bathroom, every time you prayed, every time that you got up to get food or anything, the constant rattling of that chain reminded you that you were a prisoner, reminded you that you were in a dungeon in a dark place. But Paul, was he bitter? Did he feel betrayed? Was he angry? Was he upset? Was he resentful? Was he depressed? Far from it. Arrested unjustly. Treated unkindly. Future uncertain. What kind of man is this? Is he crazy? Has he lost his mind? Is he in denial? I wrote. If not, how is it that this man is able to keep his head while everybody else around him is losing theirs? How is it that this man is able, watch this, to keep his sanity in such a sick environment? How is it was this man able to stay positive when he's under all type of pressure? I'll tell you how he's able to do it. It's found in these words that he penned in this text here. He said, I have learned that whatever state that I'm in, to be content. I have learned that no matter the circumstances that I'm in, is to be content. The reason why I haven't lost my mind, the reason why I haven't went crazy, the reason why I'm not depressed and angry and feel like just, just giving up on life because I've learned the secret of these situations is that if I have Christ Jesus in, as my contentment on the inside, it doesn't matter what life hands me. It doesn't matter. I'm getting ready to preach of what the enemy tries to do to me. The secret of my success that I've learned that whatever state that I'm in, if I have a little, if I have a lot, if I have lack, if I have overflow, it doesn't matter I've learned that in every situation I can have an inner contentment that comes from Jesus Christ I want you to understand that notice Paul said it I learned to be content in other words it was not created behavior it was learned behavior 
Paul, situation after situation, circumstance after circumstance, issue after issue, he learned little by little, little by little. When you get saved, you don't get it all at one time. Paul had to learn. Some of your greatest blessings will come out of your toughest lessons. And Paul said, I learned by going through things, trusting God, staying faithful to God, hell all in the home, issues at work, things are not right, but I kept praying, I kept seeking God, I kept worshiping, I kept coming to free chapel, I stayed in school of discipleship, I showed up at youth on Saturday night, I was at UCI Friday night, I know hell tried its best to keep me from getting to God, but whatever state that I was in, I didn't lose my praise, I didn't lose my prayer, and I didn't lose my worship. Is there anybody in here that still have a little bit of praise? Being content is not complacency. Being content is not resignation. Being content is not indifference. Being content is not apathy. It does not mean to maintain the status quo just settle for less, be mundane and routine. It's quite the contrary. We are called to press on. We are called to achieve more. We are called to succeed in life. We are called to take ground in new territory. The kingdom of heaven suffered violence, but the violent take it by force. We are called to, come on somebody. God said, I wish that you would prosper and be in good health even as your soul prosper. It's his will for you to succeed. If it's, it's his will, for you to prosper if it's his will for you to do well in life what being content is listen is independent regarding circumstances it means contained listen to this secure and significant without position popularity power or prosperity listen to this having an internal sufficiency without requiring external reinforcement good god have an internal sufficiency without requiring external reinforcement. In other words, I can be settled right in the middle of chaos. I can have peace right in the middle of all sorts of problems. I can be comfortable right in the middle of chaos. I can sleep on a pillow if my ship is in a storm. Oh my God, I have learned that whatever state that I'm in, it doesn't matter what state that I'm in as long as I don't allow the state that I'm in to get inside of me. If I don't allow it to get in me, I can stay stable. Come on, I can stay tranquil. I'm not going to lose my mind. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to be shaken. Oh my God, I don't know if I'm in the right church, but I'm telling you there's a place in God that you can have contentment, that you're not rattled by everything that the hell tries to throw at you. I come to preach somebody up out of discontentment and declare if the Lord is on your side, whom shall you fear? What can man do unto you? Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world if God be for me who can be against me I don't have to be discontent I can be content in my Christ oh I don't have happiness happiness is based on happenings if everything is happening right, I'll be happy. 
I don't have happy. If this happens, I'll be happy. If my wife does this, I'll be happy. If my husband does this, I'll be happy. If they sing this song at church, I'll be happy. I don't live off happiness. What I live off is joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Joy is not contingent on if everything is happening all right. Joy is not dependent if everything is in the world is going all right. I'm going to tell you why. It's the joy of my salvation. Joy comes from knowing that I'm blood-bought. I'm redeemed. I'm sealed by the Spirit, filled with the Holy Ghost, graced by God, favored by His presence, a child of the King, and chosen. It is from that place, joy, that gives me strength. What did he do? How did Paul do it? Paul had to number one, watch this. How did he do it? How did he stay positive under all the pressure? How did he, how did, how did he stay sane in a crazy society? How did he stay content? Number one, if you're taking notes, and I'm going to give you these to you quick. Number one, he maintained a sovereign perspective. You will have inner contentment when you understand God is in charge all the time. Oh, no, uh, uh, uh. no, I said God is in charge all the time. God is never off duty. He never sleeps on the job. The Bible said the king of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. God, it works 24-7. He knows how to work the day shift, the night shift, the mid shift, all the shifts. Whatever kind of shift it is, he is in control. And I think sometimes we get so focused in circumstances, we get so ingrained with all the news and, oh, this is going on and this is going on and that's going on and that's going on. Feeding fear, feeding fear, feeding fear, feeding fear. I told my wife the other day, I said, we sit here for 10 minutes and watching the news I hadn't heard nothing positive yet I'm getting up from here because this is about to drive me crazy because despite all of those things that are going on Jesus Christ is still on the throne and he is in control Paul learned to see things not from his perspective but Paul learned to see life from God's perspective it was Paul that says in Romans 8 that I can do all things. Now, he didn't say that in Romans 8. He's the one that said in Romans 8, all things work together for the good of them who love the Lord and who are the called according to his purpose. And because Paul had this sovereign perspective, can I preach a little bit? Understand, when people looked at him, watch this. They said, poor Paul, he's a prisoner of the government. Paul looked at himself and he said, I'm not a prisoner of government. I'm a prisoner of God. Because two times he referred to him and he said these words, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. When you have a, a, a kingdom perspective and a God perspective and a sovereign perspective, people would look at Paul and said, oh, poor Paul, poor Paul, poor Paul, poor Paul. Look at him. Paul, look at him. He's got men chained to him. He's got 
got men bound to him. Paul said, no, 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 no. What you don't understand, they're not chained to me. Listen, I'm not chained to them. They're actually chained to me. Because remember I told you earlier that they would change those guards around four times every six hours. You know what Paul said? Everybody said, boy, that must be rough, Paul. That must get on your nerves. Paul said, "Uh uh-uh, I've got the right perspective. And you know why? He said, I'm not mad that they're changing every four hours. Actually, I'm glad. Because what that tells me, that every six hours, I got four new people that I can tell about Jesus. Matter of fact, if you do the math, that means 1,460 men are coming to Jesus every year. So I'm not complaining. They're not chained. Come on. I'm not chained to them. They are chained to me. When you have the right perspective, where's little buckets? Oh God, I don't put your name out on last. See, when you have, watch this, he's going to help me preach. See, when you have a sovereign perspective, what you need to understand, so, <laughs> when you have a sovereign perspective, what you understand sometimes, that if you don't have the right perspective, watch this, that, that you can abort, watch this, your, prep, your process of preparation. Having the wrong perspective can get you out of a season of preparation prematurely. What do you mean? I want you to pull this slingshot. <laughs> Don't aim toward the dock, man. But what? hold it right there. What I want you to see. Now watch this. He's got a ball in his hand. Now, 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 if you, if you, if you understand the position of that ball, that ball right now is saying, oh my God, I'm under so much pressure. He's squeezing me. His hand is hot. His hand is clammy. His hand is sweaty. Come on, hold it now. Hold it now. His hand is sweaty. He's squeezing me even tighter now. Uh, Matter of fact, I feel like uh, uh, he's losing his grip on me. Does God really have me now or did he lose his grip on me? I feel under pressure. Matter of fact, if that's not enough, I feel like this tension is on me. Why do I feel stretched right now? Why do I feel like, oh God, somebody's going to get free? today why do I feel stretched right now why do I feel under pressure right now why do I feel this pain right now and I can look at this position that he's in and I can complain about the stretch I can complain about the stress I can complain about the pressure I can complain about the pain and I can prematurely get out of his hand but I want to declare what looks like a season of confinement it's really a season of refinement what looks like is holding you back it's really setting you up what looked like has been a setback is actually setting you up and watch this your perception is is not what's happening to you but it's actually happening for you because if I don't get in this position I can't be shot into where God is calling me to be and what he's called me I don't know who I'm preaching to this evening you've been cursing the pressure you've been talking about the tension but I came to declare that God not got you right where he needs you to get you where he's preparing you for. Can anybody give God praise for a little pressure? I dare you to praise him for the pressure. I dare you to shout for the stretch. I dare you to give him glory that says you're not cursing me. You're blessing me. You're not tearing me down. You're building me up.
had the right perspective. Had I not gone under, I can't get away. Had I not got under that type of pressure, I wouldn't have no prayer life right now. Had I not come under that type of scrutiny, I wouldn't know how to worship right now. It is good that I've been afflicted. Now that I've been afflicted, I kept thy word. Had I not gone through that hell, I wouldn't be praising like I'm praising now. It brought some stuff up out of me. Sometimes what you think is killing you is just killing stuff in you. What you think is hurting you is getting the hurt out of you. What you think is holding you back is actually getting stuff up out of you. And it's the best place that you can be. I don't know about you. I'm preaching to somebody this evening that you've been cursing the devil and rebuking Satan. What if I told you it just could be God who's got you in a position that's getting ready to launch you into something that you never thought, dreamed, or imagined? Somebody shout, preparation. I'm in the pressure because I'm in preparation. I'm in the pain because I'm in preparation. I may be stretched out, but I'm getting stretched long, and I'm going to step in to what everything God has for me. I need somebody to give Jesus a shout of praise. Woo! kept the right perspective he maintained the right priority guys Paul said my priority is to know him my priority is to serve him my priority is to stay focused on him my priority is to do what he has called me to do my priority is to walk and his call and his purpose for my life. If I'm going to stay content, I can't be worried about where everybody else is. I got to worry about where I am in God. Paul wrote the words, watch this. He said, he that compares himself among himself is wise. Some of us are, can't be content because we're too busy comparing. And anytime you start comparing... It'll put you in a place of competing. But the Bible says this. This, this blessed me. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul said these words. Those that run in a race. Watch this. It says they discipline themselves. But watch this. And they compete for a prize. One translation says they compete for a wreath. He said, but us. It says we, watch this. We run for a crown. Wait a minute. That's two totally different things. Because see, when, 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 I'm, when I'm comparing that leads to competing, watch this. He said the only thing that you're going to get is a wreath or a trophy. You're only going to get your reward is what man can give you. Good God. It's what man makes. <laughs> he said, but if you don't live a life of competing and just focusing on completing your assignment, come on. The race is not given to the swift. 
but to them that endure to the end. It's not about a competition. It's about you completing what God has called you to do. And if you focus on completing your call, there awaits a crown. But if you spend life competing with others, all you have is a man-made trophy. He said, you got to have the right perspective. He said, you got to maintain the right priority. And the last thing is they come to the keys. He said, you got to learn to trust in my supernatural strength. Paul said, I want to read it. If you can put that verse up, media, in the amplified version on the last point. In Philippians 4, Paul said... There it is. Philippians 4.13, we often hear it, is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But notice what it said. What is that the right amplifier? I have strength for all things in Christ. Look, who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me I am self-sufficient notice that in Christ's sufficiency notice what it said I love this I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses me in his inner strength into me listen to me Paul said what enables me to stay in this season of contentment and in this state of being content is I'm not relying on my own strength. I'm not relying on my own ability. And understand that you'll never know God's strength until you're willing to admit your weaknesses. He says, in my strength, in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. Matter of fact, can you put that one up? I want you to see these scriptures. For my strength and my power are made perfect, fulfilled and completed. Look at, look at this. And show themselves most effective in your weakness. Therefore, next verse, I would all the more gladly glory in my weakness and my infirmities that the strength and the power of Christ, the Messiah, may rest yes may pitch a tent over me and dwell upon me did you hear that that the strength and the power of Christ may rest yes may pitch a tent over me and dwell upon me I'm covered in his strength. I'm kept by his strength. I'm empowered by his strength. Everywhere I look around, all I see is his strength. He says there's a tent of strength over you. That's why you can stand in the middle of any circumstance and not fold and not give up and not throw in the towel. See, Christ has to be your thermostat when your circumstantial temperature rises and falls he has to be the regulator I'm going to leave you this one thought 
the book of Joel chapter 2, and they're going to put it up. And then in Malachi, I want to show you something. It bothered me. Notice the scripture. It says, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Now, this was a time of war. This is a time of fighting. This was a time of arming themselves. Notice what it said. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Now, watch what Malachi says. He shall judge between the people and rebuke the strong nations afar off. He's, they're talking about Jesus in his reign. Watch this. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Did you notice the difference? In Joel, go back. It said, beat your plowshares into swords and pruning hooks into spears. But Malachi says, beat your swords into plowshares and, and, and your spears into pruning hook. It's the opposite. See, in Joel, it was fight, 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 do it, do it. Do it. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Let the weak say I. Notice that. Let the weak say I am strong. But Malachi said, I'm prophesying. There's coming one that's going to reign and his name is Jesus. And when he comes on the scene, this thing is going to be switched up. Oh my God. It's going to be switched. You don't have to say I am strong. I am strong in my strength, in my strength. Turn your pruning hits into swords, your spears into swords. He says, when Christ come and I come under his rule, he reverses it. Good God. He said, no, turn your sword into a plowshare and your spear into a pruning hook. Because now it's not about I'm strong, I'm strong, I'm strong. It's about he's strong, he's strong, he's strong. He's my strength. See, let me show you something. Pruning hooks, watch this, and plowshares were farming tools, watch this, that they specifically used to cultivate the vines. Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine. You are the branch. Away from me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me, I'll put my strength in you and you will bear much fruit. He said, it's not about your sword. It's not about your spear. It's about your pruning hook. It's about your plowshare getting connected to the vine called Jesus Christ. And it's through that union, through that vital connection that you can have Christ's strength that will enable you to do all things. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise and stand to your feet. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are blessed.